and welcome, and God save the Queen. <laughs> welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man whose ancestors came over on the Mayflower. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Yes, they did. To flee your queen. <laughs> They did not, by the, the way. The current queen. She's yes. been around that long. They, yeah, exactly. They knew. <laughs> they knew then. Yeah. They your family's now. not Mayflower? You're, you're early, early doors, right? I think to, so. To use a football phrase, yes. early doors is when the yes. rock was cut. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, I am Caucasian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Today's show uh-huh. is all about um, England 3, mm-hmm. Norway 0 in the World Cup quarterfinal. Um, I say that with some relish. Obviously, I'm an England fan and honestly have become more so throughout this tournament as I've gotten more familiar with the team and mm-hmm. gotten to know them. This is the best performance I've seen from this team in yeah. my in my short life as an England women's national team. I mean, I saw them missing penalties. I saw them I giving saw that up too. chances. No, yes, I mean they are English. Was. Yes, no. I'm just trying to <laughs> anticipate what some of your newspapers will do, no matter what. Oh, uh, they, they'll celebrate. Yeah, this, I, yeah, I would imagine they hopefully will. Hopefully, with more decorum than they celebrated the England Cameroon win. I, I would hope so. Yeah. I, I'm still waiting. Except for Daily Mail, I expect I'm nothing from them. Still waiting for all of these songs about England making the semi-final. I, I don't. When are those going to be launched? When's oh, the, when's the Twitter sphere going to explode? Probably tomorrow morning. Okay. Yeah. All right. Do you think? Do you yeah. think we get an "It's Coming Home" version? We might get like a England always make the World Cup semi-finals. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I am not getting into the "It's Coming Home" debate <laughs> again. I know. I know where it comes from. What are you talking about? Come on. I'm not talking about it. All right. Let's talk about this game, though. I've, let's talk about the song one more time. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about this game. Because mm-hmm. it did not quite go the way we expected. And I think part of that is because Norway did things? Question mark? They'd done it wrong. They'd done it wrong, for sure. Yeah, because <laughs> we've seen Norway find success in this tournament playing high-intensity, high-pressure. I think my nickname for them when I previewed them was, like, the locusts because yeah. they swarm. Their, their press is a swarm, and it yes. makes it hard to play at the back and tough for you to have the ball. They exactly. The opposite. And today they were sleepy locusts sleepy because locusts. They, they sat back a little bit and did not swarm. Instead, they tried to keep shape, I think, which maybe they just thought, like, oh, this has worked against England historically, so we'll do it too, but yeah. we won't do it very well. They tried to Iceland it. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and tried to, Use being the operative phrase there. Yeah, yeah. because... England did a really good job of keeping the ball moving, not being slow on the ball, and not allowing the tempo to slow down, which is part of what you're trying to do. If you're trying to play a defensive 4-4-2 and sit back, you want... Which is England. what Norway were trying yeah. to do, just to be really clear. That was their plan. Defensive exactly. 4-4-2, mostly behind the halfway line. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you want them to start putting their foot on the ball and slowing it down and looking for crosses and not keeping the ball moving. Instead, England, I mean, admittedly scoring, what, three minutes into the game helps with this? Yeah. But it was definitely a lot of passing and moving. It was a lot of one and two, maybe sometimes three touches, but for the most Part. It was yeah. quick, quick touches, quick movement, try to pull way out, no way out of position, and they did it fairly successfully. That one and two and three touch thing, mm-hmm. I think I, I hadn't properly noticed it. I noticed that England were playing fast, and I was kind of happy about yeah. it. And I think you went back and rewatched stuff, especially from the first half, yeah. and counted the touches each player was, would have as we came out, mm-hmm. as England came out of the back. And it was always one to control, one to pass, one yep. to control, one to pass. Right? Maybe an extra one to like change the angle or yep. whatever. But it, no one dwelt, no one was dwelling on the ball. No one put their foot on top of it and like yeah. did the like look around, like scan the horizon. Yeah, no. no. No, no one scanned the horizon. Mm-hmm. Everyone just knew where they were going once they got the ball. Yeah, the only the only players who I think would take more touches were the players who then finally did find themselves in space. So the yeah. one that like I noted was uh, five minutes twenty five seconds in. Again, England already up, so that helps with it. Mm-hmm. But it's they're possessing on the like kind of the right half, right hand side of of England's uh, team, and it's a, like again quick passing, quick passing, quick, quick passing, and it ends up being played uh, back to I <laughs> no think, bagel, no bagel, no bagel, no bagel, no bagel. No bagel. <laughs> uh, it gets passed to Bright, who just has like a one touch swing to Stokes, and then Stokes 
takes a bunch of touches, but that's because now the entire left-hand side is wide open because Norway have been yes. pulled over. And England basically, because of that little passing sequence that's probably about 30 seconds long, they then open up the entire left-hand channel. Then they aggressively attack down there, and they end up getting a ball to the back post. And I think, is this what you mean when you say Norway did the defensive 4-4-2 yeah. but weren't good at it? Because one of the things that a lot of teams who do the defensive 4-4-2 do, like say Diego Simeone team would yeah. definitely do this, is you crowd to one side, right? As in, if England start going down the right, the entire Norway's team shuffles to the left to like crowd the 4-4-2 and make it really tight mm-hmm. over there. And no, But the, the trick is you've got to be fast to do it because when the, when the team gets down there, you've got to be fast to go close it down. Mm-hmm. When the team with the ball switches sides, you've got to be fast to shift your whole team over. Yeah. And if you're not good at that and you're not fast doing it, you're in all kinds of trouble because you're, you're just leaving a lot of space out wide. Well, I, I agreed, but I do think that a huge part of this is the fact that, again, England score in the third minute. Yeah. And, and if your entire game plan is, is set up to sit back, let England have the ball, we're not going to chase them, we're not going to try to like, put pressure on them early, yeah. then suddenly, if that's your game plan and England score, you can keep doing that, but you could sort of see the moments of indecision from Norway where it was this feeling of like, okay, they've had the ball, like, we got to go try to do something. And so then one and two would step out or three players would step out, but that's exactly what Norway don't want, England yep. do want, because then they are starting to get more spread. Only in the second half, when Norway went back to the kind of swarming and pressuring, yeah. did they start to turn it around, and they end up getting a decent number of chances to start the second half. But then England essentially counter yeah. on them after they mm-hmm. get forward, right? Before we get into the goals, one thing sure. I think is worth noting is what Norway tried to do when they had the ball. And at least in the few minutes before England scored that first goal, yeah. I noticed every time Norway got the ball, it was essentially, let's go direct. Yep. And it never worked out, right? They go for Hullifson or CGH, Colin Graham mm-hmm. Hansen, and essentially Houghton or Bright, the England centre backs, would would win it. Yeah, and and I think part of that is because if you're Norway, you expect we'll, we'll sit deep. England will send numbers forward, they'll keep committing numbers, they'll keep committing numbers, and then we will have those long ball opportunities. So it felt like that was sort of what they expected to be on as the game moved forward. And then yeah. again, when you concede. Maybe England aren't going to stretch as, like get as many numbers forward. They're not going to overcommit. There's a few times when Norway do get some counterattacks, but for the most part, it was England sort of being very smart in the way they went about this game. And speaking of, I don't know if this is just me being a fan, but part of me thinks that the reason Norway ended up playing so many long balls from the back is good England pressure. Mm-hmm. Like Ellen White was always closing down angles, and then uh, Duggan and Paris on the wings would sort of. I, I like. I think I saw that White would like go one side to direct pressure so that the, the, the centre-back has to pass to one side. But then if that's to Paris' side, she already knows that it's coming. Mm-hmm. So she's on it and she's then ready to put pressure on the player that receives the ball. And in the end, Norway getting so much trouble, they kind of have to go direct to, or, or they risk giving the ball away. That's interesting because I also saw times when Ellen White didn't cut it off as well as I would like because that is one of my weird things that I pay attention to is how good the forward is at making sure like that oh, ball yeah. back to the center back isn't on but even in those moments what stood out to me was then it wasn't a like oh she's blown the entire game plan and now we're totally in trouble it would basically be that she would just kind of calmly drop back in and kind of form, form a high line and then England would kind of reset from there so even when it was bypassed on occasion it still felt like everybody kind of knew what to do in that yeah. moment Contrast that with Norway, who it felt like were sort of, uh oh, individuals have to make plays. Yeah. And as plan Norway not showed. Working, plan not working. Maybe Hansen will dribble at people. Yeah, yeah. But it's also that, like, but once you have individuals trying to do a defensive job to make up for kind of like uh, missteps in the system, that's where I think then suddenly this player stepping into that person but leaving their mark. So then somebody steps to that player, but then that leaves their mark open. Yeah. And suddenly you have somebody at the back post on mark. I mean, you just described at least one of the goals, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, should we talk about the first goal? Sure. Um, so it's scored by Jill Scott. Mm-hmm. There is, in the, after the cutback that Jill Scott scores, it's going to Ellen White, and she swings at the ball, yep. misses it, and it goes to Jill Scott. And Daryl tried to argue it was intentional. 
When I first saw it, because <laughs> just because I think of Ellen White as such yeah. a high quality player, I think there's no way that she swings and misses. Right, this has to be part of some like design dummy to open up space for Jill Scott. <laughs> yeah. But the more we rewatched sure, it, sure, she'll argue it was. The more we watched it, it's she's going full power oh, swinging yeah. at that, right? Mm. I think when you dummy, you normally fake the full power thing, and yeah. then you just kind of maybe just like deftly open your legs and yeah. put some disguise on it. So there's no argument. There's no way to make an argument that she meant to do this, right? I mean, you could you could try, but yeah. no, you would not. You'd be, you'd be, you'd be yes. wrong. <laughs> yeah, but, but that almost makes it more impressive that uh, Bra- uh, Scott, excuse me, not Bronze, uh, is able to find the back of the net with this one because yeah. she's put herself in a position to be there as the trailing run if something like this transpires or yeah. maybe if uh, Ellen White does decide to leave it intentionally. But because White is so, swinging so powerfully, you would forgive uh, Jill Scott for thinking like, oh, okay, this ball is not going to get to me. I'm kind of going to be on my heels, whatever. Unless, unless White just does this in practice a lot. She's like, oh, I'm amazed that she scored all these goals. She keeps, mis- she keeps missing the ball. Okay, that's an interesting wrinkle. I like that. <laughs> uh, but instead, White does miss it. But uh, because I think Jill Scott is up on her toes yes. and ready for it, when that ball comes to her, she's able to react quickly and just get a little bit of a deflection on it and puts it in uh, far side netting. Perfect reaction it time, is. right? It goes mm. in off the post, actually. It does. I want to talk a little bit about the build-up to this, sure. though, to this, this first goal in, what, the third minute, I think it is? You're mm-hmm. better at the minutes than yep. I am. My notes are not <laughs> that reliable. <laughs> Um, it starts with Walsh, the yeah. English defensive midfielder slash pivot. Mm-hmm. And as England are building out, she comes under pressure in midfield. She does a really good job to sort of move this way, move that way, and then play it back to Bardsley, the goalkeeper. And almost like she gets England out of a little bit of trouble they were in so that they can reset and then build from the back again. Indeed. Yeah. And then you do see, even though Ellen White has the, the miss kick uh, that leads to the goal, uh, here you see the other things that she's capable of. Obviously, she gets a goal later on, so she won't be too upset about this one. Yeah. But here, yeah, uh, when Walsh drops it back to uh, Bardsley, yeah. uh, it's then a long ball. I don't think she's necessarily looking for Ellen White. She's I think she's Jill Scott, yeah. clearly, because she's the tallest player in midfield. I think part of the England plan is yeah. if we can't build from the back, then hey, how about a Jill Scott flicker? But it ends up being a fortunate turn of events because I think the best Jill Scott's going to be able to do is flick it on and Ellen White has dropped in to help yeah. so I think that ball ends up coming to nothing but because Jill Scott can't get ahead to it and Ellen White does adjust really quickly yeah. she then is able to kind of oh, settle so they both do it for each other yeah. in the space of a few seconds I, think she, I can't remember if she chests it down or if she like, does like a controlled header almost yeah. but regardless because of the uh, the calmness of Walsh to kind of pull in some Norwegian players drops it to Bardsley Bardsley with good service because it's in the area of those two players who are able to bring it yeah. down now you've bypassed a significant number of the Norwegian players. Yeah. Packing stats. I'm going to get six. Yes. But, yeah, I think that's probably fair. Yeah. But it's also that, like, I do think it was a problem that Norway here, again, we didn't see them swarming. Even though they went numbers forward, even though they tried to put Walsh under pressure, it wasn't the somebody's on her, but then somebody else is coming in to make a secondary yeah. tackle and somebody else has covered the outlet. It, it was a sort of like, okay, I'll try. Okay, now I'll try. Okay, yeah, now yeah. I'll try. The key thing is when yeah. Walsh lays it back to Bardsley, Bardsley's under zero pressure. Exactly. Like a, a, the real Locust team that we yeah. know Norway can be mm-hmm. would be like, all right, we're on that next pass. And yep. Hullifson would be sort of slide tackling Bardsley into the back of the net. Yeah. But because <laughs> that doesn't happen and because this ball is able to get cleared and settled now you have a very good attacking opportunity for England because it's uh, yeah white to Paris Paris plays in bronze and then and that's the killer combo in this whole game yeah. to mm-hmm. me it's like Lucy bronze down the right with uh, Nikita Paris yeah. either underlapping or overlapping each other like sometimes they were inside sometimes they were outside of each other yep. I don't think Norway ever found out how to handle this no I don't think so yeah. either uh, yeah as evidenced by the fact that the second goal comes from right down this side as well yeah so it's also worth spotlighting once bronze gets the ball she essentially accept- turns on the jets 
and accelerates. Mm. I can't remember who the left back that she goes past is. Um, Minda. Minda. Was it Minda at the time? I think so. Uh, so, yeah, Bronze had her own Minda project. Mm-hmm. Um, accelerates to the end line. You think it's going out of play. She just cuts it back at the last second. It's kind of, it's kind of perfect. I, be, for I believe Bronze. both Minda projects were equally uh, well-fated. Well <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the Minda project, the, ori- the original one. I, I, I like part of it. Until okay. it was the same thing over and over again. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Fair yeah. enough. Fair yeah. enough. You can only will they, won't they so many times before eventually <laughs> they've got to do one or the other. <laughs> That's a hot take on the Midi Project. Yeah. <laughs> should, we, should we talk England's second goal, which comes in roughly the 40th minute? Let's do it. This time Ellen White connects with the ball and gets herself a goal. She does. <laughs> uh, but again, we have some problems for Norway, including uh, Minda once again being pulled out, because you basically have in- England creating overloads that I think Norway using the system I think your idea was maybe they didn't get enough practice in like kind of a deep lying 4-4-2 yeah, yeah. so they didn't it's quite doing know- the thing they're not like expert at right yeah I Cause think because you, you can see how if you know if you're drilled in it and know exactly how to do it then you know where you need to be at all times so if Daryl has the ball Daryl's slightly right of center and I'm defending him then I know that I need to be like this X amount of yards away from the end line to block off this option like you yeah. know how you, how you want to be playing and if you go back and watch this there's a lot of kind of miscommunication I think in this case it's Minda and Savic. yeah uh, so the left mi- the the left back mm-hmm. Minda and the left mid Savic, who essentially are tasked yeah. with dealing with bronze right back overlapping yep. and Paris right wing. Um, those are the two that should know where each other should be in relation to those two players. And I think in this move, you absolutely see that they don't. Neither no. of them know which one they're supposed to be with, and England absolutely exploit it. Yeah, because, because as, again, as soon as you have one sort of saying, like, oh, no, you're supposed to go mark her, and I'm going to stay here, now that player goes, and that's exactly what happens. Is I think Savic tells Minda to step out, but it leaves, I think it's Paris uh, unmarked. I might be wrong on that. It might be bronze. But it's basically, once you have somebody stepping and leaving a player, the thing with Norway is that it wasn't automatic as to who was then going to fill that other defensive role. Yeah. And so routinely, it ended up being an England player kind of wide open in space. And oftentimes, it wasn't even because they had made a really smart run. It was just sort of like somebody else made a run. Norway kind of panicked and went to yep. cover that, and they were left standing there all alone. What happens here is eventually Bronze receives the ball with not much pressure because yeah. Savic and Minda don't know who's supposed to go to them. And then there's the confusion, so Bronze is able to put Paris in down the right. Paris uh, dribbles into the box. She's gone past uh, the left back, mm-hmm. Minda. Torres daughter, who's marking Ellen White, is now like panicking because Nikki to Paris, who's very dangerous, is in the box and danger, danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in trouble. So she starts to shift over towards uh, Paris. Torres' daughter does the centre back. That leaves White open. So Paris is like, "All right, I'll just square it to I'll, yeah. I'll square it to Ellen White, and Ellen White's going to score." And further evidence does that it go through Torres' daughter's legs, maybe as well. I think, I think it does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so so two Megs in the first yeah. two goals. Just so, one I mean, was one was an, an England player making herself. It actually means Torres' daughter got her angles right because mm-hmm. she cut off. She was in a position to cut off the pass from Paris to White. But then I think Paris got a little bit lucky by uh, putting it uh, through a lens. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then also, so there's a little bit of luck there. But then again, it, it's Norway kind of panicking themselves because Mielda, the other center back, you would then expect like, okay, Torres Stotzer is going to step out to Paris. So Mielda comes over and covers Ellen White, who's obviously a huge threat in the box that you should want to defend. Yeah, yeah. But Mielda, despite what happened in the third minute. Uh, yes, despite that. <laughs> uh, but instead, Mielda is looking at Kirby, who's run into the box, again, oh, yeah. completely unmarked. And I think she thinks, oh, it's going to be another cutback to the penalty spot. That's where Kirby is. So I'm going to step out a little bit to deal with that, which leaves Ellen White completely wide open. And then after White scores, she does the famous Anthony Modesta mm-hmm. celebration, which her and her husband love, uh, apparently. Um, and she does the glasses directly at Nikita Paris, which I really like a celebration that then acknowledges a teammate. It's yep. like, I see you. 
Or yeah. you saw me, one or the other. We see each other. I see you saw me. Yeah. Yeah. See so. Yeah. So, I mean, and then we do see Norway change it up a little bit because yeah. we, we get to halftime. England still have the lead. Unleash obviously. the locusts. Yeah. And they do. And it does start to, I think, have an, have an impact. I mean, they, they go right from kickoff and I think are aggressive and start winning the ball. They start getting chances. They start making England uncomfortable. We start seeing giveaways. Yeah. And I think if you look at, like, there's a 10-minute period from, like, the 60th to the 70th thereabouts where you do see Norway really causing problems for England and England causing some problems for themselves. My notes for that period just say Brightmare. Yeah, I mean, she, that's accurate and <laughs> also well done. Um, but I think it would have been a bigger issue, except that the thing we're skipping over is that by that point, it's 3-0. And I think if Norway had done this from the outset... I think maybe they were expecting, like, oh, England have game planned, so we'll throw a different like look at them, and then maybe they won't know how to do it. Yeah. But instead it was sort of like, oh, no, we've game planned for you all to be very intense and high-pressing, so we've been practicing playing fast. So if you're going to sit off and give a space, now we can play even faster, but yeah. with even more control. I really think the Norwegian coach yep. just got this one wrong, yep. right? Okay. To be fair, he's Swedish coach, so I think it's probably because he's Swedish and not Norwegian. Oh, that's, he's that's Swedish? That's the major issue. Oh, yes. yeah, okay. I've made that up completely. But, yes, he is Swedish. Um Okay. Mm. <laughs> you probably wandered into a whole political fan and, oh I know I have I'm fan and some flames. Political nest I, lo- I always love I always, it's good, it's cold there. I don't know why I say I always listen. I think it's because I have Norwegian cousins. Uh yes, it is cold there. Uh, and they're cold to each other. But I always enjoy <laughs> like do, so I, like do all the Scandinavians get along? Like do you because like, like, you know, people refer to it as like a collective unit. And they're like, Yeah, yeah, everybody likes each other except for the Swedes. Like it's usually <laughs> It's, it's, it makes me laugh. So, uh, yes, maybe it's their Swedish coach to blame. Maybe he was trying to uh, make the team implode. It was, oh, well, it was he, a, he's a saboteur. He kind of did a good job in he this did. game. He um, did. We've got to talk about Lucy Bronze's Let's goal, it. though. It's the, the third goal for England. It's Lucy Bronze from a free, receives the ball from a free kick at the top of the box. And we watched this several times because I was really curious about what is the technique on this? Because this looks weird to me. Hit ball hard? Is it just hit ball hard? I mean, no, but that's part of it for sure. Well, I mean, what did you notice about what Bronze did that's like, basically, what was not normal about it? Because it very looked, it very much looked not normal to me. I mean, there's very, very little follow through, which I I Mm. think is important because she's getting power behind it, but she's trying to take off like some element of the spin. How do you get power without follow through? Uh, I mean, that, that, that's like how most, like, Ronaldo hits his free kicks as he tries to hold his leg back. Like, I see. Basically, you're just trying to not have much leg, like, like swing through because of that increases rotation of the ball. I see. The less you give it, the more kind of knuckle lack of spin you're going to get on okay. it. And I do think that if she had followed all the way through, you could even see that weird scenario where she, like, almost double kicks the ball because the motion of bringing your leg all the way through like makes the ball travel with yeah. it. And maybe and, it lifts it a bit yeah. more. That might have gone over the bar. Right? Yeah. She ended up going like basically top roof of the net. Yeah. yeah, because I think even though she doesn't get her hips completely over the ball, that's the other element here. It's like if you want to shoot low, they say get your knee over it. But in my mind, that's an easier way of getting your hips over it because yeah. if your knees over the ball it naturally like makes your hips face down it's kind of difficult to have your hips face up and your knee over the ball at the same time yep. and so she does that just well enough to keep the ball on frame she leans back just like a tiny little bit more that ball's over the net oh, it's a beautiful goal it if is. you don't mind do, we, do you mind if we go through this goal backwards chronologically like reverse counterclockwise we're have at do, it my friend we're gonna do this um, I mean it's coming home so or, we may sorry, as well anti-clockwise do whatever you want because it's English you know because uh, you, your people invented the game so <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to take all that literally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just like God Save the Queen. Which worked. Again, she's fine today. Um, (laughs) That you know of, sir. (laughs) So the free kick, Mm -hmm. uh, when it is taken... There's a nice bit of movement from, we believe, uh, is yes. it Walsh again? There's something Walsh. very Because yeah. you might be wondering, why is Lucy Bronze wide open at the top of the box? What are Norway doing? This, this ball from, I've forgotten who takes the free kick, but the ball 
Was it Duggan, maybe? Uh, no, it was... Stanway? Uh, no, Stanway no it was the one who stepped down who I wanted to say. Mead? Mead. Okay, yeah, Mead. Uh, mm-hmm. So this ball from Mead to... Because I was about to say Meadema. <laughs> they played together for uh, Exactly. Uh, this ball from Mead mm. to uh, Bronze is yep. not on. There is a Norwegian defender... Vold. Vold, mm-hmm. um, who is blocking the path. This might have been my favorite moment of, of, of the game, actually. Oh, then you all, please describe With what all of the other, like... Everything we've discussed, all the goals are really great. There's, you know, funny moments, Ellen White, ha, ha, uh-huh. ha. Uh, but here, uh, if, you, if you go and watch, so the fouls happened, the camera's behind the two England players who are getting set to theoretically take the free kick. Yeah. And you can see Vold off to your left if you're looking at the screen because she is clearly tasked with marking uh, whomever happens to be standing at the top of the box. Yeah. In this case, it's Lucy Bronze, but it's also Walsh who's up there. And that's what's really interesting to me is Walsh then, you can see her, she walks towards the six-yard box and Vold is trying to pay attention to her, but is also fairly desperately telling her teammates, someone needs to pick her up yeah. because I'm still marking this other person so she knows who's wide Bron- open. She knows Bronze is there, right? She does. And also she knows that Bronze is Lucy Bronze, the Lucy Bronze, who has like, terrorized Norway this entire that, game. That's so actually what she says. She turns around and says, I'm marking the Lucy Bronze <laughs> in Norwegian. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's what happened. Uh, what actually happens is she kind of turns... What's and- Lucy Bronze in Norwegian? Uh, Lucy Bronze? Correct. Yeah, you just say it with a... It's like, Lucy Bronze. Uh, but she basically, I think, turns and says, like, somebody should pick up Walsh, essentially. And does the, I would say, almost, like, subconscious thing of, oh, this player's, wa- like, unmarked and walking towards my goal, so I'm going to kind of track them a little bit, and she starts walking backwards. Yeah. And then... It's just like a drift, right? It's like yeah. an unconscious drift. And then I think there's a moment when they all give her the, like, we're marked up, you got to deal with it. Well, they're zone, right? Aren't they just in the top or, of yeah, the... Or, like, the, we're yeah. zoning. Yeah. We're zoning out. We, we, they say <laughs> something that makes her think, oh, I need to get goal side. So she then does try to get goal side of Walsh, but then realizes very quickly, oh, wait, no, this is going to go short. But the key thing here is that all of this has pulled her about 10 yards away from her normal her, her starting spot, yep. which is literally where the ball is played, is where she was standing. And that's why there's a wide open yep. pass to Lucy Bronze, mm-hmm. who can then smash it. Master set piece theater. It is master set piece theater. Yep. Yeah, it is, because it's not because of the bronze strike, but because of, I mean, what, that too. Because of what Walsh does. Yeah, right? I mean, you have yeah. to believe that they've rehearsed that one, that yeah. she's practiced striking a ball coming in at that angle, uh-huh. from that angle, at that distance. All right, and I promise reverse chronological order. Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about how England won this free kick. You just want to talk about Lucy Bronze more. I actually want to talk about Steph Houghton. Okay. Because there's a moment where it's a Norway attack, right? They have the mm-hmm. ball in the six-yard box. I think Houghton intercepts and is trying to clear it, but then realizes if she clears, she's blocked off. And so she, she's somewhat scrambling, but she managed to essentially turn away from a Norwegian attacker in her own box and just play a pass still within the box to Nikita Paris. Yeah. And then Nikita Paris takes someone on inside her own 18-yard box, which I think is a terrible idea at 2-0. And it almost was. And it, she almost was dispossessed, but I think she got lucky, right? She, she, got, she, t- she hits it away. into the player that goes back into her and goes off of Nikita Paris and back into the yeah. path of Nikita Paris. But because she gets yep. lucky, and because Steph Hatton, she was calm mm-hmm. under pressure, Steph Hatton, but she somewhat got lucky as well. Um, England are away. Yeah. England have essentially uh, the first counter-attack of the game because mostly, this is the Norway have spent the first half not stretching themselves too far forward. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and off we go. Then Nikita Paris, Nikita Paris has the very, very fast Lucy Bronze overlapping. She can give the ball to Bronze, who then gets brought down as she's trying to sort of uh, go at someone on the right. There range. was one, one really interesting moment before she gets brought down, which is like once they're maybe, Lucy Bronze is maybe 10 yards past uh, midfield in Norway's half. And she kind of evaluates, I think, at that moment and looks around and decides maybe the pass isn't on or maybe she doesn't want to risk themselves getting countered upon like countering the counterattack is a very solid way to go about getting a goal it's and a good I, way to get a bunch of space right? and I, yeah and I just enjoyed that in that moment she thought nah I'll have it and so then she goes <laughs> she goes direct down the line and I believe it's Engen who ends up having to overcommit and commit the foul yeah, and who then, then also does something very foolish because I don't think it's a foul 
The first contact, Engen comes in at an angle, gives Lucy Bronze a bit of a body, knocks her off a little bit. The ball kind of like goes loose between the two of them, and Bronze kind of loses her footing and is trying to hold the ball up like while she's still standing back up. And Engen, I think, is still it's still legal right up until as she goes to poke it away, she kind of puts her hands on Lucy Bronze. And even if she didn't mean to, from the referee's vantage point and with Lucy Bronze trying to get back up and then falling back down, it 100% looks like she's just been shoved back to the ground so Engen can get the ball. Yep. And I don't even think that's necessarily what happened, but it's how it's always going to look, and Engen makes the referee make a decision. Well, an even more obvious mm-hmm. shove comes in yeah. the 80-something minute, that. early 80s. It could have been worse for Norway. It could have been worse yeah. for Norway. Torres Dorte in the box puts her forearm really aggressively into yep. the back of Steph Houghton, mm-hmm. gives England a penalty kick. Right? I mean, there's no argument about this penalty, right? I mean, n- no. I, exemplified by the fact that it doesn't ever even get referred to VAR. I'm yeah. sure they had a look at it, but it's 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 one of those challenges of. So they looked at it once and they were like, "Yep." I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> I think so because it's a challenge of. An error before VAR, in my mind, where like maybe sometimes the referee misses that decision, but with yeah. VAR, that's one hundred percent always yeah. going to be a penalty because it's not subtle. It's not a like oh, it's just you know sometimes there's contact in the box. Like Torres Dotter is absolutely just putting the elbow into the back of Stefan yeah. to shove her out of the way of the ball because the ball's about to arrive. Yep. Hammers her in the back. Yeah. She does. Well done, sir. Uh, but didn't aim for the head, I guess, is the problem. Um, that that sounds weird unless you know what we're referencing. Uh, but I think you're the one who pointed out that Torres Dotter also doesn't even look at the ball here. Yeah, like she's, she's just away. shoving a Houghton yeah. out of the way. Yeah. It's pure shove. Yeah, mm-hmm. She's an absolutely deserved penalty kick. But then ball does lie? It does, right? Because yeah. Nikita Paris, I think we've seen put, put penalties, uh, put a penalty mm-hmm. top left and been like, whoa, all right, Nikita yep. Paris, very, very nice. This one is what? Taking with the instep and it's... Mid left, that was that borderline Borat, and hides. I don't know how I feel about it. What, what was? You're like very nice. Like you, you like almost hit it for a second there. <laughs> not deliberate. Okay. Yeah. Very very nice. <laughs> but it wasn't a very very nice penalty. It was not. It was not because she picks her spot. But it's not just about picking the spot, and that's a thing that I feel like I need to keep emphasizing because I oversimplified it with Megan Rapino. But it's yeah. about picking your spot. But that being the right spot and then backing yourself that it is yeah. because just picking a side is not a spot. And I want to – that sounds that's silly, but it's yeah, the yeah, truth yeah. because if you just pick left and hit hard, that gives the goalkeeper a lot of room to potentially make a save. And that's yep. kind of what Paris does here. I would also say she insteps it, which removes some of the power automatically. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, instep, it takes the pace off it, right? Yeah. And the then first she, one I was talking about is like I think it was Lace's top mm-hmm. left corner, which is kind of unsavable if you get it on target. Yep. Yeah. Or Lace's bottom left corner, yeah. which is the Megan Rapido special. Yes. Uh, but here, yeah, it's instep and it's and it's at like a very – a height that is ideal for saving, as yep. we have talked about before. And Yamset makes the save. Good which, pronunciation. I, I actually got – we got a tweet from yeah. Seattle, Scandinavia. Who just sent us a reminder that when there's like an H and a J, I think uh-huh. you don't pronounce the H. Didn't we? So they were right to call us out because we mm-hmm. got it wrong. I'm not asking to people. I'm not asking people to call us out on all pronunciations. Daryl at totalsoccershow.com. Send him all the pronunciations, yeah. and he will no, totally read them all. Isn't the email address we're trying our hardest at totalsoccershow.com? I feel like you might have actually set that up. <laughs> but we talked about this before the last Norway game, mm-hmm. and I think one of us, and it's probably me, completely forgot what we we talked about and started doing the Hjelmsmith. I think we both did accidentally. Okay. Yes. But, I mean, it's tough. We're a bad influence on each other. Yes, because. But- then it's like you go overboard. It's like Elofsson. It's like I don't. What? Why are you yelling at me? I don't understand. <laughs> you blow out the mics on every single Scandinavian pronunciation. Oh yeah, my bad. Yeah. Sorry, listeners. I didn't mean you. I meant the, the royal you, which is we. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, God save the queen. Uh, so yeah, Yamsa with the save. Save her good. Which isn't a bad 
way to end her tournament despite going out 3-0 she'll have this memory like, the last thing I did at the World Cup was I saved a penalty alright but for real yeah. when you hear like do you think that like like uh, whomever is up there like yeah. alright fine I'll save her again yeah. like, do, like, but do you think that it, thing it, that you need a reminder sometimes are, it's a thing that you've like had to do for like 60 odd years yeah. at some point you might need a reminder alright but seriously like, do, are, are you in your mind are there like Ass- like assassination ninjas just all over London and each yeah. day there has to be an attempt that's thwarted yeah it's like struck by lightning or like some th- a gust of wind mysteriously blows them off the roof they were creeping up on yeah I, I don't mean this Save to be queen. harsh but I feel like th- this is how maybe you were a serf in a past life <laughs> <laughs> is that they were like just keep praying to things and everything will be okay buddy England is a magical land <laughs> England is a yes. magical land yes sure <laughs> If you're of the landed aristocracy, yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely true. <laughs> I mean, one of them is about to be prime minister. Um, so, uh, England are through to the World Cup semi-finals yeah. once again, where they will play either the U.S. women's national team or France. Mm-hmm. Either way, a cracking game. Wait, can you say that again? The two teams? They will play either the U.S. women's national Yay! team. Or France. Boo. Yeah. There we go. All right, cool. <laughs> so That's my job as an American. In, that's going to be an exciting game. Mm-hmm. In the second half of today's show, we're going to preview... That quarterfinal, sure are. USWNT, mm-hmm. as nobody actually calls them but out loud. Um, everyone just writes it, versus France. But first. But first. But first, today's show is sponsored by the thing that Taylor's putting around his neck right yes, now, roughneckscarves.com. Mm-hmm. Is that a roughneck you're wearing? It is indeed. It's the Refugees Welcome a roughneck oh. scarf. Uh, yeah, that w- we are part of the fundraiser, but still yeah. a custom roughneck scarf that you can get custom designed if you want to. Yes. But they also have many uh, U.S. soccer, U.S. women's national team scarves. Uh, so if you want to get kind of geared up for, obviously, when the United States makes it past France and you want to like have a scarf for the semifinal, when, I like for it. the final, and for when they uh, emerge victorious once again, then you can do so by going to roughneckscarves.com. I'm going to walk less listens through it as well because I just did it. I just do. It. You put the scarf on, I put it up on my iPad. I think it's on my head now. I didn't have a scarf. Yes, it is. That's I'm a, not sure how that happened. It's an interesting look. Yeah. Um, so go to roughneckscarves.com. If you click on the drop-down menu, shop for scarves, mm-hmm. you will see uh, featured scarves, MLS, US Men's National Team, US Women's National Team. I think in this case, we're going to be clicking on US Women's National Team because mm-hmm. that's what we're about to preview. And then you are presented with options. Mm-hmm. I had to scroll. I had to wave my finger four times to get to the bottom of the screen. That, yeah. su- such are the options. Such are the options. Right. Yeah. What I really wish had happened is you had turned this into some weird avant-garde like comedy thing, where I was like, okay, it says I need to update. I'm gonna just check the <laughs> updates real quick. This I don't know if this is a normal thing for Roughneck, and then you just went through the entire process of like updating your iPad system. I waited an hour while the new <laughs> iOS installed and then crashed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So there is, for example, the Megan Rapinoe scarf uh-huh. number fifteen. Um, it doesn't have any pink on it. It's got red and blue though. It looks really good. The Lindsay Horan scarf, which we don't know if Jill Ellis would buy or not. We we don't, <laughs> but we hope she will. Yeah. Yes. I, I think they need there needs to be a Megan Rapinoe. Like White House Pink House sort of scarf. I feel like I, I need that in my life. I would like that to happen. If Roughneck Scarves house. can make that happen. That is magnificent. Yeah, I so try. if you would like a US Women's National Team scarf, please go to roughneckscarves.com mm-hmm. and please save yourself 20% and give us the credit for you going there by using the discount code Total Soccer Show. All one word. Those are of equal importance. Yes. I mean, <laughs> if we're honest, yes. Total Soccer Show uh, for 20% off at roughneckscarves.com. Thank you very much to Roughneck Scarves for sponsoring today's show, for allowing me to 
wear a scarf on my head because apparently I don't know how scarves work. I'm not sure if Roughneck approve what you're, approve of what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, I'm sure they're fine with it. <laughs> you wear it however you want to wear it. I'll show you. Uh-huh. And I'm sure many uh, American fans will be out wearing many different types of hopefully Roughneck scarves for the USA's game against France. So should we talk about that? Shall we? <laughs> yes, is the answer. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's do that because it's in the title, so people are expecting it. That's probably also, true, Also, yes. It's the biggest game of the World Cup so far. Oh, is it? I hadn't yeah. heard. <laughs> it has, people have made a big deal about this game being a big deal. They have. Which is like a weird, like, what's the word? Solipsistic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is. This is the two of the top three teams in the world meeting in the quarterfinal, which is the the unlook of the draw. Yes. I mean, <laughs> it's definitely a bummer, especially since things went as they're expected to, which yeah. isn't always the case at the World Cup. Usually there is that, like, yeah. oh, it's going to be Brazil, Germany in the, in the yeah, yeah. round of 16 if all goes to plan, and well, this then time things was, don't go to plan. It was Italy winning the group, right? Yeah. It was the one weird thing. But the US and France win their group, not unexpected. And then winning their round of 16 games, not unexpected. Not unexpected. Okay, so we... We don't really make predictions, right? Because no. honestly, this is a game that could go either way. Mm-hmm. France are a really good team. France are hosting. The US are a really good team. But we still have all those question marks mm-hmm. like about, like, is, is this going to work? Have we, like, been too confident about this? Do we have enough of a defensive shape? All that kind of stuff. Yep. This is where it all gets tested. And I'm, yes. I'm thrilled to watch. I'm, like, nervous as a US fan and excited to watch it. Yeah. Um, th- you're, you're nervited or something nervited. like that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's that's a fair way to be. And I think you should be because it's a, it's a very strong uh, US women's national team. Yeah. We've talked about them many, many times. But as you said, it's a very strong French women's national team. Yep. And there are reasons to be afraid of them. There are maybe a few reasons to be optimistic or a few reasons to like think, oh, the United States could, could get at that or could maybe create yeah. this problem, but so too could France. All right. So as we hashtag get invited, uh-huh. um, let's maybe think about what we're facing in France. Uh-huh. So some of the real basics, um, what sort of shape do we think they will go with? Because they've mixed it around a little yeah. bit throughout this tournament, right? I've seen a 4231, I've seen a 442. What are you expecting from the French national team in this game? I mean, I'll, I'll go with a, a thing that you very much just hit upon there, which is the back four, for sure. We, we do yeah. not expect them to bring out a surprise back three, back five. Right. Uh, my guess would be that we see something close to a 4-2-3-1 or some form of like a 4-3-3. Okay. Just because we would expect the United States to be in their kind of custom four or like accustomed 433 yeah. I should say customized 433 yeah it's <laughs> true but sounds weird um and and it does feel like France are a team that are uh like like to match what the other team is doing. So yeah. if they're in a four four two, maybe France are, are will move into a four four two, four three three. That's what they did against Brazil, that. right? Yeah. France went four four two against Brazil. I think because Brazil went four four two. Yeah. Yeah, and I also think because France have a history, or at least in January, of beating the United States playing a four two three one when the United States was in their four three three. Okay, so that four two three one when France beat the US in January, you said. Um, oh, I was distracted during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, what? So, is the two like two defensive midfielders? Was it Amandine Henry and someone Busalia. else alongside her? Mm-hmm. Busalia. Okay, so both of those players are present yep. and correct. So we could expect that. I mean, you could do. You could pretty much do everything else from this one. A little confusing was that uh, Grigian Bock, the other uh, centre back, wasn't in that game. It was yeah. Wendy Renard. It was a lot of the other names that we've become very familiar with this tournament. Who the, who's the? Because the the thing that moves for me the most in terms mm-hmm. of throughout this tournament, I've seen the thing change the most is yep. the French attack. Uh, like for example, Casca. Reno started mm-hmm. the tournament on the right, and she's been uh, replaced, right? She started so, this game on the right as well. Oh, okay. So Cascarino on the right. Mm-hmm. Who was on the left? Eugene Lesomere or was she Lesomere. Lesomere on the left. The striker would be Gianni. Gianni. Mm-hmm. Gianni. Interesting. And Tine is the number 10. Tine is the number 10. Okay, so here's what I think. There's a chance that France, if they feel conservative, yep. might be like, all right, Tine is an experienced and talented player, but it's somewhat of a luxury to play in number 10. What if France just went... 
straight up 4-3-3 and they just added an extra more defensive central midfielder to that shape because they're worried about going up against the US's midfield three. I I mean I could see that like from w- the way you've explained it making sense. Yeah. The thing there is in Bilbo, my mind I guess would be the third, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think in that case you are sort of by doing that making clear that you are letting the United States control the game. Yeah. Because if you're taking out you're being one, beta. one of your most cre- well, yes, I yeah. guess yeah, but like you're basically you're the one who's adjusting. Yeah, you're the one who's sort of in the negotiation where you're both being silent waiting for the other one to speak first, you're the one who says I, I am declining to speak first uh-huh. so that the other one will start, but you've then spoken. And I think that would be that. It's like if you take off an attacking player, Michael Scott did that. Um, if you take off an attacking player and put on a defensive midfielder and especially one of your key attacking players, to me that means we're going defensive so you all can know that and go at us a bit more. Yeah. But then maybe that could be a feint. Who knows? But I think <laughs> with that in mind, I, I would be surprised if that happened. I do think we probably see Tine as more of a number 10. Okay. Uh, and I do think we see her start. All right, so let's work on the assumption then. I'll trust sure. you. 4231 is is the way to go. What are the French threats within that 4231? Mm-hmm. Like let's do a quick let's do a quick bullet point list of things to be nervited about. <laughs> nervited about. I mean, uh, Eugene Le Sommer is is one of my favorite players in this tournament, Majri yep. being the other. Yeah. Uh, like uh, like that aren't uh, American and players. And that's a combo, right? So the bullet point is yep. France's left side. Pretty much. Yeah. Yes, because Le Sommer is more than capable of causing problems at wide on her own, but then will also go central and sometimes be a secondary striker because Amma Majri, the left back, will get so high up the field. Yep. And then you've got kind of overloads but then mismatches in the middle that the United States has to find a way to be flexible mm-hmm. enough to deal with. And then Marjorie getting forward is mm-hmm. the most dangerous thing, right? Yes. Because her crosses, she might be the best crosser in the I tournament. believe she has the most assists of any player on the French team. That, yeah, that is. I'll, I'll bet she got the most assists of any left back. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we'll come back to that and how the US deals with it. We'll do this with all these sure. points, mm-hmm. right? Okay, the thing I remember from the last game is Gianni. Uh, D-I-A-N-I, Johnny. Yeah. Um, she started up front, but she kind of drifted to the right wing throughout the game against Brazil. If she straight up starts on the right-hand side of a 4-2-3-1, we are looking at a very dangerous right winger because yeah. she has all kinds of ideas and moves and a bit of acceleration to get away from people. Do you remember the spin move she did uh, mm-hmm. against Brazil and get down the line? So absolutely just Gianni coming at you down the right is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And again, maybe not quite as much as Marjorie, but Tor- is it Torrent, the mm-hmm. right back? She is not afraid to get forward. She there? certainly is not. Yeah. No, so I mean, yeah, I think you'll see attacks on both sides from Ooh, a variety of players. With nervousness and excitement. But this this game uh, in January, you should be. This game in January was the game where I kind of, like, uh, Cascarino first came on my radar yeah, yeah. and then has been there since because of how uh, threatening she looks. She gets a goal in this game. I, I think she may have had an assist as well. Uh, or no, excuse me, she didn't get a goal. She gets an assist in this game but was like a threat throughout. Gianni got a brace against the United States. Okay, um, And I say that just to say that I wouldn't be so surprised if we do see Cascarino return to the lineup. It would be a surprising decision, but I think Galvan has been excellent. But The, the striker? Bi- yes, yeah. but the question about France, or about the United States kind of consistently through this tournament has been how well organized is the defense how like fa- is, are they fast enough can they handle some pressure and i think the faster france are the more the u.s might struggle i think they can handle a player like Galvan a little bit easier who is going to be bigger and more hold up play oriented so you think they maximize pace by maybe having johnny as the center forward mm-hmm. and then also delphine cascarino as the right wing or Asai, i think is the other one that's been getting minutes in this tournament <sighs> so yeah they, i mean they've got many options i'm not even saying i think that's like what they'll do yeah but i also like, because they may do a variety of things. I would feel confident that they'll have three midfielders. Yep. Aside from that, it might be any number of personnel. And, but one of the three midfielders may be Tine. Yes. As a more number 10 That'd be my guess, player. yeah. Okay, we're going to talk Amandine Henri. Sure. Um, she's just in control. Yep. And that's what scares me, mm-hmm. is that 
if someone's going to take over this game, I feel like it could be Amandine Henri just picking out smart passes left, mm-hmm. right, and center. Yeah. And then I, making late runs into the box as she did against Brazil to score the winner. Also that. Yeah, she's, I mean, she is the metronome. She's like the, yes. the Ringo star, I guess, if we're going to go like with that analogy of like she's the one who's going to keep the, everything moving. She might not <laughs> wasn't be. wasn't even the best drummer in the Beatles. That's what that's an apocryphal statement. Get out of here. You knew that was going to push my buttons. <laughs> um, but I, but, and like I say that. It's not as though everybody else is like a big personality and she's this under-the-radar one that people no, don't want to sing. She's the capitan. Yes. She is very much front and center for this team. But I mean it more so as she's the one who keeps it moving. She's probably not going to beat you with pace and she's not going to do a bunch of stepovers and get yeah, by yeah. you. But she'll be she'll the one. She'll make sure to give it to someone who can. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but she'll do so by like quick pass, quick pass, quick pass. And then suddenly she splits three defenders yeah. and plays the ball into space that you didn't see coming. So what does that mean? We don't just watch out for her doing that? I guess as a viewer, you just that's a thing to be aware of. Watch Francis number six I believe uh, yeah. Amandine Henry. Yeah. yeah, I mean, d- certainly do that. I would say, like, if if we're kind of shifting in that direction, like, it's almost similar to what I was saying. Like, if France put in three defensive midfielders, you kind of know that they're changing what the Nets like what they want to do because they're afraid of the United States. Yeah, yeah. I think if the U.S. Becomes, they're speaking first in the negotiation. Yes, uh, and if the United States is overly focused on on Amandine Henry and has her like marked the whole game yeah. or is <laughs> quadruple marked, yeah, like I think then she might be the only way to stop. It might be, but I think then you're showing your hand because you're overly focused on a player who, again, I don't mean this to be like she is the player that I think is is one of the best players in the world. I would absolutely draft her onto my uh, team, which we may do at the end of this tournament. Yes, but I don't think she is the one that you have to be like afraid of right away. Yeah. I think the smarter thing is to make sure that she just keeps the ball moving, but that France aren't able to do anything with the players that are more inclined to be like deadly in front of goal. I see. So I think if you can say. Like put uh, Eugene Lesmer under pressure as soon as she gets that ball from Amandine Henri. Yes, that's the one that I would feel more comfortable with. Excellent. I also feel a little bit more comfortable because now I know when we do the draft, mm-hmm. you already ha- I know part of your priority list, and you know not your 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 priority list is just the English team. I'm yeah. pretty sure. So I guess I probably tip my hands about Lucy Brands, right? Except I know you, and I know that you're going to draft an Argentinian player in there somewhere because because you'll be guilty enough about saying <laughs> they weren't going to do anything that you'll try to make up for by drafting one of them. <laughs> Putting in your head now. Um, maybe one other big threat from. Uh, France yeah. is, I mean, literally Wendy yeah, Renard. True. Wendy Renard on set pieces, or if she ever gets into the box. Um, we don't have, we have players who are great in the air. Mm-hmm. We don't have a player who can compete with Wendy Renard in a straight ball is in the air who gets to it first kind of challenge. We right? don't. We have players who are savvy and can give her a hip check and can bounce her around, but we don't just have, oh, we'll put this player on Wendy Renard and all will be fine. Uh, yeah, and and I, I I agree with you, and I think this is where I say that I would very much like to see Lindsay Horan start this game because I do think Horan has the like competitive fire of that like you you may be bigger than me, but you're not going to beat me, and yeah, I yeah. think and I think I would happily have her match up against Wendy Renard. Then you have Grigian Bach, who's also very good in the air, uh, uh, Renard's fellow centre back, yeah, yeah, and then maybe also Galvan as another like fairly tall uh, attacker <laughs> as well. So the United States will probably need to Conce- find a way to deal with that on concede no corners. Yeah, there that, we go. That'll yes. be the Yes. Concede no corners. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, how about if we talk about how to how the US could deal with some of these threats, sure. right? Um, all right, we started with Marjorie, mm-hmm. right? You, can you stop Marjorie getting forward? Like she's up, she's going to be up against say Kelly O'Hara might have a tough job, right? Because Kelly O'Hara's got to think about Eugenie Lassamere and what she does on the left, and when she comes inside, Kelly O'Hara has to pass her on to her fellow yep. uh, defenders, right? She'll say, "Hey, hey, Becky Sauerbrunn, um, hey Dal Kemper, please pick up Eugenie Lassamere as she comes past me." But then you've got like the second wave coming, which is Marjorie, yep. who will she's pretty quick, she'll get past you, she's got some skills and a little bit of space, and she'll bend in a dangerous, dangerous cross. Yes, so that that then maybe. 
it becomes incumbent uh, on Tobin Heath to yeah. make sure she's always dropping back. But I, does, I don't know enough about Tobin Heath's yeah. defensive game to know if that's something we should be worried about. But I will say I don't think of her as someone whose priority is tracking back and defending. No, and I think maybe that right there is the answer. Uh, because I do think that we've seen Tobin Heath struggle to really like stamp her authority on games in this competition. She drew the penalty against Spain, but aside from that, really struggled in her take-ons and in some of her passing and movement. Yeah. And I think that's because everyone is aware of Tobin Heath and teams game plan to defend Tobin Heath. Yeah. The way they do that is by keeping their fullbacks back and keeping numbers on that side. And it, even if she gets by one, there's somebody there to put that fire out. If that left back is more so focused on bombing up the field and getting involved in the attack, that's a lot of space for Tobin Heath, who is, for the first time in this tournament maybe, doesn't have somebody fully focused on defending her at all times. That's right, because someone whose priority is to get yeah. forward. And so, okay, here's my plan. We use that Abby Delcamper ball a lot. I think that's the way to do Anytime it. Anytime Marjorie gets forward, assuming the U.S. wins the ball back, I would argue... Hit that space that Marjorie just left for Tobin Heath and make her keep thinking about it. Make her keep worrying about it. And then maybe she'll be a little bit more reticent to get forward. I will be shocked if the first ball, that first long ball that the United States plays, doesn't go to Tobin Heath. Because yeah. I think, it, because my theory, my guess would be that if the United States, you want to remind France that Tobin Heath is Tobin Heath and is very dangerous. And yeah. maybe, just maybe, get in the head of Amel Marjorie that, hey, if you bomb forward... That's on every single time. And maybe that keeps her back a little bit more. Or maybe it makes uh, like the French defense slide over. Or maybe, yeah. one, maybe Henri Boussalia stays back a bit more. And I was going to say, that might be a thing to watch for. Is we, we might go too deep down yeah. this tactical rabbit hole. But these are two of the key eh. players of the game. I right? mean, Heath and we know what we are. We know what the show is. <laughs> uh, it could be that France have a plan for yeah. Marjorie gets forward, but this player covers that mm-hmm. hole, right? So yeah. It could be Bersalia. Yeah. It could be. But I, I think right there, though, is like then you can adapt to that because if it is Marjorie still getting field? Exactly. Yeah. Then that's one fewer players that you have to worry about. So yeah. maybe Tobin, he stays high, and one of the central midfielders for the U.S. now goes and covers uh, Marjorie a little bit more because Bersalia has dropped in. Okay. Like if you make France make changes based on what you're trying to do, you're still making them make changes, and mm-hmm. then they're no longer able to do exactly what they want to do in terms of their game plan. Okay, we also see what the threat of Gianni, say, yeah. coming down the right, whether she actually starts there or not, or say it's Delphine Cascarino. Essentially, a, a winger with a lot of pace and a lot of ideas and an absolute threat we yeah. need to be worrying about. I think this is the biggest test of the Crystal Dunnett left-back. Um, experiment's the wrong word, because it's a thing we're, we're just definitely doing, right? The the Crystal Dunn at left-back hypothesis, maybe. Yes. yeah. <laughs> because every time we've seen the U.S. dominate a game, the big bonus is Crystal Dunn gets forward and is an extra winger in the attack, and you're able to essentially have Rapino and Dunn. And honestly, then Rapino and Dunn become the less Amara Marjorie of the United States, yep. right? But in this, uh, in this case, we have the problem on our side where we have a really dangerous winger, whether it's Cascarino or Gianni, going at Crystal Dunn. And we'll find out, does Crystal Dunn have the 1v1 defensive skills to handle um, an elite right winger? Yeah. The left side of France... We we already know Megan Rapinoe can handle elite right wingers. We do know that. In a very different sense. Elite's a word. Yeah, Yeah. well, (laughs) none of the words are compliments. True. (laughs) Um, I would say the French left side is the side that I think is more frightening and has more skill and ability. It's the right side that actually scares me more in this game for the reasons that you've just mentioned. But also because of Megan Rapinoe, to be totally honest, because... I st- like Megan Rapinoe has been great for the United States. I would say she has not been great in this tournament. She has had two bad games in a row at this point, a lot of which has been her trying bad to take— Bad is harsh. Just like not, not Rapinoe-level like magic games. Fa- okay. Yeah. But I, I think has been similar to Tobin Heath, hasn't been as successful as we would like to see in some of her take-ons, and has had moments of frustration. And 
and I then also worry about the fitness of is she is she going to be tracking back aggressively as well because I do think Crystal Dunn is going to need help. I think she will need support, yeah. and so that yeah, is, Torrent could join in, right? So yeah. you could get double teamed. Exactly. Yeah. So that that is the side that I think the United States will be maybe more concerned about maybe keeping yeah. the ball away from that side and attacking down their right. Similar to what, uh, who did we see do that? Uh, Norway, maybe, against Australia, was it? Where they like steadfastly refused. Avoid, yeah, yes, yeah. and maybe we see the United States do something similar. So right. I, I think we'll see probably a lot more Tobin Heath, both because of attacking opportunities, but also maybe as a like preventative defensive approach, too. Uh-huh. That makes sense. What, so what do we think? Just going back to the Dunn versus Gianni yeah. thing, in terms of a 1v1 battle, mm-hmm. or, or Dunn versus uh, Cascarino, it's going to be one of those two, yes. probably. Mm-hmm. There, there's a third option, right? Um, what have we seen from Crystal Dunn in the past that gives us either confidence or concern? Um, I, I mean, I think, number one, we know that Crystal Dunn is, is an incredible athlete, so can, can happily compete yeah. with, with, with attackers when it comes to a foot yeah. race. I've seen her make up for some mis- like not mistakes, but like when she's got forward and yep. the balls get put in behind, she makes up the ground and is able to get back in defensive position and then disrupt that play. Yes. So, that, I mean, that's a bonus. But that may not be such a bonus when someone like Gianni is like 20 yards ahead of you. Right. Right. And then also, though, like you you want a person in that situation when they are tracking back, if they are sort of in a 1v1 battle, you want them to have natural defensive instincts. And Crystal Dunn is a natural attacker. She does not play left back at club level, uh, nor does she really ever play that. So outside of playing for the United States. And so that would be my issue is like what happens when Crystal Dunn is in, in good, in like theoretically good defensive position because we've seen the United States be kind of tucked in at times. What happens when she go, has to go out and deal with Gianni or Cascarino or whomever out there in a 1v1 scenario? I, I would be slightly nervous and I would be especially nervous if France do try to overload that side as well. Ooh, yeah, and what I've seen in the past, I've seen Dunn win those defensive battles, mm-hmm. but it's been against inferior players, right? Mm-hmm. Against Thailand, against Chile, uh, maybe Sweden's a bad example. But, and I think she essentially wins that battle because she's just an all-round better soccer player than the right winger she's going up against, yeah. right? So it's not even a contest. Like She's just winning that ball because she's hyper-competitive and she's winning that ball. But again, it's different when it's Gianni. And I guess what we're driving at here is we don't know what happens. We're essentially going to find out in this game. We are. Yeah. The, the other thing, though, that, that gives me slight like hesitation about Crystal Dunn is that when you're an attacker, you have a bit more freedom when it comes to l- losing the ball, basically, because there's an expectation. You you're going to try stuff. You're going to yeah. take people on. You're going to be trying to make something happen, but you're doing it far away from goal. And I think... Against Sweden, we saw that one moment we talked about on the show where she was just her first touch was a little heavy, and then I think she scrambled oh, yeah. to make up for it and it get, ends up getting poked away from her. Back pass yeah, yeah, I think so. And 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 that's the other thing for me is that Crystal Dunn now as a defender, where she's not necessarily as comfortable as she would be if she were playing a more attacking position. I think maybe there's just a bit more thinking. It's less automatic of what you do because there's always that awareness of if I miss, mess up this pass. They could be in behind me. And so just that moment of hesitation, that moment of self-doubt yeah. can be problematic as well. Okay, let's hope Crystal Dunn's feeling confident going let's into let's this do. game. Mm. It's almost like the whole Gillelis Dunn at left-back experiment is could be judged on this game, yep. right, on, mm-hmm. on how it goes. Okay, what, what other threats did we, did we talk about? We talked about Wendy Renard in the air. Yeah. We didn't talk about Wendy Renard defending. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. We send a bunch of crosses in. Like Megan Rapinoe can whip in a beautiful ball. Yep. Wendy Renard's probably winning that, mm-hmm. right? And Buck's perfectly capable of winning it, but in Wendy Renard is yeah. very likely to win it in the air, yep. right? Kelly O'Hara gets down the wing, sends a cross in. Wendy Renard's heading it away. Mm-hmm. Tobin Heath beats a fullback, chips a cross in. Wendy Renard's heading it away. Yep. And I'm essentially building a case here that what the US should do is maybe what... Real Madrid did to Juventus in Zidane's first Champions League final when they knew, they knew that Chiellini and Bonucci would head everything away yep. that goes in. 
aim low. Yeah, get low balls. Low balls into the box are going to be much more successful against Renard and, and Bach. Uh, partly because you're not winning the high balls. Renard's winning the high balls. But we went back and looked at the two goals that France conceded. Both of them were low or medium low balls in. One of them, uh, Renard, is an own goal because mm-hmm. she's facing her own goal and she isn't able to deal with the low ball in. Um, the other one was what Renard tries to clear. This is against Brazil. It's a medium height cross. She tries to clear, but she clears it directly to Taysa, mm-hmm. who then scores for Brazil. And she tries to clear. It's a low-driven ball that she's trying to get on the end of and yeah. just can't make a solid of a play yeah, she yeah. would like. And I'm not making the argument that Renard's a bad defender. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying she's too good in the air to even try it, so your best bet is to go low. And the United States has... Because of Michelle Obama. Yes, exactly. The United States has precedent <laughs> here as well because uh, in the friendly, the pre-World Cup friendly against New Zealand that they ended up winning 5-0, yeah. it takes them a while to score a goal because they're trying to kind of go at New Zealand, but New Zealand are crowding the middle, making that difficult. So then they go wide and they start crossing the ball in, but they don't have the personnel in the box to win those aerial challenges. The first goal comes from, I believe it's Megan Rapino whips a ball in low between the goalkeeper and the back line. Tobin Heath runs on and finishes it. Yeah. That's the exact type of ball I think we're going to be looking mm. for is that sort of ball, not necessarily from the end line, but kind of whipped in, like stretching the back line and then kind of into space for another attacker to run onto. Yeah. I think that's the kind of key to getting uh, goals from wide positions. All right. And then how about this for a segue? Uh, once you send those low balls in, if they are sort of deflected out, mm-hmm. it's going to be all about one of the three midfielders being there, yep. maybe coming in late to crack a shot from the top of the box. Mm-hmm. The big question, as it always is with this current version of the US Women's National Team, which of the four magnificent central midfielders are going to start in the three midfield spots? Uh, yes. So I think <laughs> yes. that, it, well, that it always confuses me when you say it because you say which of the four will start in the three, and I'm yeah. like... They can't all, but I know that's what you're asking, uh-huh. but it, it's a weird like construction for me in my head uh-huh. for a moment. Um, to answer your question, my guess is that it will be either Sam Mewis or Rose Lavelle is the one who uh, doesn't see the starting 11. Why those two? Is it because Juliet's is so important as defensive mid and yep. Lindsay Horan is probably our best midfielder? Yes, yeah? that's it right there. Yeah, so it comes down to Mewis or Lavelle. Um, and I really don't know what Jill Ellis will do. I think basically whichever one starts will be very indicative of the United States' approach because mm. Rose Lavelle is the one that we've talked about and I think Jill Ellis has talked about as being key. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin Murray certainly has on this show as being the key, like the number 10 who can unlock a locked defense, yeah. who can like find those little spaces and take people on from a central position. Oh, we, I mean, we saw, we saw the moment she had yeah. against Spain where she weaved, opened them up mm-hmm. and played that perfect through ball to yeah. Rapino that I think would have been the goal of the tournament had it come off. Yeah, and and I think Sam Mewis can certainly uh, play a pass, can find the space, can find the channels. Can hit a but, shot. Yeah, but I think of her as being Maybe it's just because she's bigger than Rose Lavelle. I think of her as like a stronger defensive presence. Yeah. But I do also think that she has done a little bit more work like with the kind of going into challenges, into the slide tackles. And I yeah. think of her as a more, not, not even like that she is defensive, but just of the two, I think of her as a more defensive option in midfield. I think she's like, yeah, got a more rounded game in terms of attack and yeah. defense. But then Rose Lavelle has uh, just that bit of magic yeah. that no other no other player has and mm. I think the question then for Jill Ellis is do you trade off that bit of magic for a bit more midfield solidity and honestly if it was me I would take that slightly more conservative option because then you can always bring Rose Lavelle off the bench you can bring the magic you can make the magic happen later in the game yeah I, so you I, turn to Rose Lavelle and you say this is where the magic happens yeah I mean, no, so we, I guess I wouldn't necessarily say that it's it's a mistake to not start Rose Lavelle I think I personally would yeah. but I think it then is about like what it gives you insight into what the United States is trying to do that they're not not going to be quite so focused on possessing the ball in France's defensive third or in their half and moving the ball and finding space, it will be a bit more smash and grab and play physical through the middle and yeah. look to attack on the wings. 
Ooh, okay, what about Francis' approach, right? Okay, can France- I actually, but can yeah. we stick with the middle for a second there? Uh, yeah, Cause, absolutely, cause yeah. I, I think so. We can, Malcolm. We, we, thank you. We both mentioned that uh, we assume it will be Julie Ertz. Yes. And Julie Ertz has been you know, a, a, an incredibly good player for the U.S. women's national team. Yeah. I don't even think there's a but – but like, but there is, I guess. But like, the, my my concern was just a few times in the Spain game. We know that she gets so up for it. You can see it in all the goal celebrations. You can see it when she's picking her teammates up. She is amped up. We saw her yelling at uh, the female referee. You could hear it from the mics, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. She wanted to talk to her. She gets emotionally up for it. But I think that also goes into her game. That we'll see her go into challenges. She's going to be physical. She's going to be aggressive in the air. She wants to win the ball. But a few times against Spain. That was to her own detriment because she would go bombing out to try to get to a player. Yes. And it would just be when Spain had the more technical players. I think Armoso was the one that comes out, come to mind, was like, it was just a quick one, too. And Julia Arts was bypassed. Yeah. But if, if she is that sort of like, if she takes it upon herself to go out and make these defensive plays and make these big tackles and put France under pressure, they have the technical ability to pass right around that. Yeah. So that would be a potential strength, but also a p- potential vulnerability for the so U.S. are you hoping Julia, I mean, is still Julia, it's mm-hmm. like hyper-competitive, like win everything, but maybe she's just a bit more judicious about yeah. thinking, what are the risks if I don't make this giant tackle I'm about to go through as they yes. charge through the middle? Exactly. You know I mean? yep. So maybe she just needs a little bit more of like the Michael Bradley defensive crouch occasionally, as opposed to the thing that we love seeing, which is Julia sliding in at full force to win the ball. Because yeah. one time she might miss, and that might be the time that France go past us. Yes. So, it, so slightly more conservative Juliet. Maybe. Yeah, not maybe, politically. But, well, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, but also, that might also be the fact that uh, Lindsey Horan wasn't there. And maybe that is a, with no Lindsey Horan to also do the kind of midfield destroyer work that sometimes needs to be done, it all then falls on Julie Ertz and maybe she then overcompensates for yes. it. Yes. So that would be a thing to look out yep. for. Like how aggressive is Julie Ertz versus how much is she a little bit, a little bit careful, mm-hmm. sensibly careful. Yes. Um, the thing I want to talk about was um, what France do in terms of pressing Mm -hmm. and I might be wrong and it might just be that they've been the the dominant team and had the ball in most games I haven't really seen them put on any sort of high press uh, no, not that I can recall. Yeah. I mean, I think they're capable of doing it. I don't think they'll do that against the United States because that leaves them stretched and open and vulnerable to counterattacks. Right. So I would expect to see them more so sitting back, winning the ball, then being aggressive, getting it forward. Yeah. But then I'm not think, sitting back too deep, though, right? I'm thinking like no. mid block, yeah. hard to play through. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But then I think what we've seen from France is a sort of two pronged attacking approach, which is either direct to goal, not always just like one player drives and gets a shot off, but like two to three players getting forward as soon as the ball is one, try to create something when the uh, opposition defense is in transition. If that doesn't happen, that's when you see the sort of late arriving runs from Madri or Amandine Henri. And so those are like the kind of two-prong attacking approach that I would expect is aggressive, uh, trying to get in, in behind quickly and often. Mm-hmm. But if that doesn't happen, then recycling possession and slowing it down to kind of probe for opportunities. And pressing-wise, what about the U.S.? Do you expect, like, if Renard and Mbaka passing the ball back and forth, do you expect to see... Morgan running them down and like the midfielders popping up to also do the same thing. Are no. we going to go for it? I don't think so. Okay. I, I mean, it will be, uh, I think it was 91 degrees against Spain. It's expected to be 86 <gasps> degrees against France. Megan Rapino said, uh, this is like 30 degrees cooler than any NWSL game we play for about five months straight. So she's saying the temperature won't be an, a factor. I think it will. Yeah. And I think you, you saw... You also don't play as many games back to back as it, you do. Yeah, this is true. Yes. And even with the United States resting some players in the group stage and rotating a little bit, 
bit. I still think. Sorry, I said that wrong. You play more games back to back at the World Cup. I knew what you mean. Yeah, yeah, everybody knew. We're all good. <laughs> um, I, I would be worried about the United States, especially with some of the personnel that we think might be out there yeah. trying to chase France down and put them under pressure all the time. Yeah, exemplified by. She'll be ready to go. She will be. But the the name you mentioned there that I, I like, I don't think this is intentional. Like, I think Megan Rapinoe is going to talk about what she wants to talk about, and I think she's been asked a lot about uh, the national anthem and about not going to the White House and about her thoughts on uh, the yeah. president and and. I think all of that is like you know normal media like coverage, and they want a person to talk about, and it's a she'll big be narrative, the, right? But like yeah. it, it is interesting to me that with all of that, we have not had a word about Alex Morgan, who got kicked all over the place by Spain. I thought looked a little bit injured, looked a little bit like off the pace. I don't know if that was because she was kicked so often that yeah. she was just physically drained, or if she was just kind of tired. But she did not look as sharp against Spain as we both would have liked. And yeah. there hasn't been, I don't think they were even asked in the press conference, what's Alex Morgan's status. So uh-huh. within a mind, I would expect her to start. But I would also say that she didn't look as mobile in that game against Spain, I think France are more than capable of being physical and knocking her around a little bit and mm-hmm. doing some of that same level of physicality and a little bit of that kicking. So again, I think if you do have France going that way, it doesn't make sense for me to then have Alex Morgan overexerting herself running around trying to lead a press. Okay, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I would expect maybe a counter-press. Like mm-hmm. if an attack breaks down, we try and win it back high because yeah. the U.S. just tends to do that, mm-hmm. but not a sort of exert yourself yeah. that's, that's a way of doing it when it's worth doing and so you're not doing it constantly to drain yourself in the heat yep. yeah mm-hmm. anything else from this game that you would like to talk about before we wrap it up i feel that's a pretty good preview but i'm always open for more business no i think probably that preview if you were listening to it as a neutral you would come away thinking it feels like france maybe have the edge but i think that's probably because we're both very preoccupied with how to defeat france yeah. so maybe we're focused a little bit more on on their threats and less so on like what do we expect the united states to do to, to beat france again yeah there's, there's an en français version yeah. of this preview where they're talking about like oh what do we do about yeah. Tobin Heath mm-hmm. is, is Marjorie good enough defensively they're probably yeah. having the reverse conversation we uh, the mirror is. conversation we had mm-hmm. about Crystal Dunn and they're talking about Rapinoe's crossing and they're talking about Morgan being one of the best strikers in the world and are, are we quick enough to keep up with her and all, all that kind of stuff yeah I can see this from the other perspective Le Total Football Programme <laughs> <laughs> That sounds close. Yeah. I'm sure it's out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so ready mm-hmm. to, to wrap it up? Okay, that game is... <laughs> I thought we were doing something. I was like, what are we doing? What? Huh? <laughs> ready, go. Mm-hmm. Um, the game is Friday. It is 3 p.m. kickoff Eastern. It is on Fox. Big Fox. Mm-hmm. It's on Big Fox. Big Fox. I expect there to be a gigantic audience for this. I'm hoping people either finish work early or sneakily watch it at work or even... Watching it work for the last couple of hours. You know yeah. that workplaces have like a, you know, last couple of hours. Like I know places that like open beers mm-hmm. and stuff when it gets to be about three, four o'clock uh, on a Friday. Mm-hmm. Won't happen at US Soccer in at US Soccer House, but I mean, maybe as long maybe as, some as, other long as they have their laptops out, maybe, yeah, maybe it will be permitted. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Lindsay Horan and Kelly O'Hara, I think, put out a video where they were writing your "Let me out of work, please, yes. boss" uh, letter, so you uh-huh. could use that as a template if you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, try it, see if it works. Yeah, yeah. go for it. it. But it's in your favor. It's Friday afternoon, right? It is. Yeah. Uh, it will, will we be off work? We can take the afternoon off? Uh, yeah, probably. I think yeah. so. We'll have to. I think you need written permission, though. That's okay. the rule. Yeah, so that's how that will have to work. Uh, one more thing we should talk about before we end today's show is our live show that we've got coming up. There's a live show? Did you not know? Why hasn't anybody told me? Uh, we were trying to keep it, keep you out of it, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's called the three-man live show. Uh-huh. Jason Davis was just going to do an English impression. We were going to pretend like that was you. <laughs> 
So yes, there is a live show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the live show is July 13th. It's at Audi Field. Mm-hmm. The Audi Field. The Audi Field. In the centre circle. Definitely. It's not really in the centre circle. It's in one of the uh, the facilities they have there. Yes. Yeah. It's not quite like live at Wembley. It's more of a like live <laughs> in a room at Wembley. That's about what we're going for. But it will be within mm-hmm. the confines of Audi, it will. of Audi Field. As the Cooligan said on their show, they're not, we're not like doing it from just outside Audi Field. Yeah, <laughs> in yes. the parking lot. Um, yeah, so it's us <laughs> and it's the Cooligans. It'll be a night of like fun soccer talk and, and comedy and it'll, mm-hmm. I honestly think we got good at it over the summer um, we learned a lot of things and we'll be even better um, on July 13th um, so we've we've tweeted out the link to the, mm-hmm. the link to the tickets tickets are what $20 plus about a dollar convenience fee yeah and a link to be able to purchase tickets will be in today's show notes yes I, I like to throw that in whenever I'm not the one who's editing the show oh mm-hmm. well then I'll have to I'll have to put it in there. Right. Um, but also Tickets are limited, right? Mm-hmm. There are only so many tickets available. I genuinely, if if you want to make sure you get a ticket, mm-hmm. don't wait till the last minute because there might not be any. So buy should, them now. I should go buy some now? Yeah, buy okay. them er- early and often. All right, can we end the show so I can go buy tickets? I mean, you you will probably get a pass to get in. Yeah. Even so, can't I'll, risk it. I'll vouch for you. Can't risk it. I'll vouch for you. All right. <laughs> and if you've never heard of the Cooligans, go listen to their show. I think you'll like it. Um, all right, Taylor Rockwell. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow after USA versus France. Send her victorious happy hour.